0: Hey everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm so glad you guys have come back to join me. Today, I'm gonna air part two of my interview with Dr. Scott Jensen. Dr. Jensen is running for governor in the state of Minnesota. He is a trusted physician and has been a huge voice in the middle of the pandemic here in the United States. This is gonna be a fantastic interview. Stick around, I think you're gonna be encouraged. Thanks for tuning in today, you guys. I'm glad that you're here on this Thursday. Wow, the world is spinning at a very fast pace right now. If you guys are interested in uh, hearing more about what's happening in my life, you can go to HeidiStJohnForCongress.com. Also want to encourage you to join me at Mom Strong International. We are under the direction right now, under the teaching ministry of my friend, Jennifer Strickland, and she's going to be wrapping that up at the end of September. And then we're going to start a brand new study. So if you guys want to get into the word, now is a great time to do it. I would venture to say that we have never needed uh, to be engaged with the word of God and in God's word. We've never needed it more than we need it right now. I'm gonna go ahead and air part two of my interview with Dr. Scott Jensen. For those of you who missed it yesterday, you're gonna wanna go back and listen. We were talking about uh, civil disobedience and what's happening Uh, in the United States right now, as really American workers are being displaced and replaced. Uh, This is a very, very troubling trend that we're seeing. Uh, Dr. Jensen has a very good and wise perspective on this, so I know you guys are gonna be encouraged to listen to it. Today, we're gonna pick up that conversation and talk a little bit more about COVID-19. What is the right response to this pandemic with the 99.9% survival rate and where do we go from here? Without further uh, information, this is part two of my interview with Dr. Scott Jensen. Uh, we're. This is a very frightening time for our nation. And, and I think now we're really seeing the tail of this big dragon, which is the public education system that has not been teaching our children about liberty and has not been teaching them about our constitution or our founding fathers, or if they have, they've been twisting it. So we've got a lot of young people now out in the culture today who would strongly disagree. They think safety is more important than freedom. And boy, we're gonna see those two things come head to head. I wanna switch really quickly and just talk to you about COVID. So uh, last time I spoke, to you on the phone, I said, hey, what is the survival rate for COVID-19? And you said 99.9%. Is that still the case?
1: It depends upon what population you're addressing. I think if you're talking about people over the age of 75 with multiple medical conditions and multiple prescription drugs, you're looking at potentially a one in 20 chance of dying. But I think if you're looking at people under the age of 40 uh, that have no underlying medical conditions, you're clearly in that realm of 99.99% recovery. I think under 20, I think it's 99.997. I think when the, when the dust settles, if you look at the CDC data, we're going to end up with some sort of an infection fatality rate of around 0.2 to 0.3%, maybe 0.4, but certainly nowhere near that 2 or 3% that was being discussed a long time ago. So we're in that realm of a, of a, a severe influenza. Uh, epidemic kind of situation. That's where we're at. So this this has there's legitimate rationale for comparing what's happening with COVID-19 to what has happened to our country when we've had significant severe influenza outbreaks.
0: And so how? And so the, our reaction to it then is it sounds to me completely unwarranted. You know, I, I think I mentioned to you that my mom used to work in pediatric oncology, and one of the very first things that she said to me a year and a half ago was, "This is never how we treat a virus in the medical community. We've never treated a virus this this way before, and yet here we're doing this." I sent you right before we started recording. I sent you an article stating that we are seeing now doctors discussing inflating the COVID numbers by counting recovered patients as active COVID patients in order to scare the public. Uh, What do you think is behind this push to scare people about COVID?
1: Well, I think there's a smugness on the part of a lot of these people who have some realm or some role in being a spokesperson for what's going on. So I think the, the clip that you sent me Absolutely typifies the behavior of some physicians. I've told people over and over again, if you wanted to take something and blow it totally out of proportion, you've got to do several things. First thing, you've got to fight against anybody who wants to try try to provide context for what's going on. Because context tends to defuse fear. So you can't let any rational, contextual discussions take place. So what needed to happen? Well, you needed to have death certificates provide a robust amount of deaths from COVID-19. And we saw the CDC do that in the very early part of this pandemic in March of 2020, when they changed the rules as to how death certificates should be completed. And they made it much easier to go ahead and put down COVID-19 as the underlying cause of death, even if it clearly wasn't. And we had public health people around the country, specifically Illinois, comment, That just because it says on the death certificate that such and such was the cause of death doesn't mean it was the cause of death. And you hear this video clip and you wonder, who can say something like that? The second thing that needed to happen is we needed to have hospitals diagnosing COVID-19 rampantly. And the best way to do that was uh, to tickle the system uh, with enhanced dollars, increase uh, by 20% SPFs. And we saw that with uh, especially the Medicare population, if it was respiratory infection, generic in nature, they might get a bundled payment of 5000 But if they put COVID-19 respiratory infection, they'd go to 13000 And for hospitals that were trying to keep their doors open, these things matter. And then the third thing that you needed to do is you needed to have a, a testing program that would allow you a robust number of cases, even if the cases might be false positives. And we got that when we used the PCR test and decided to cycle it at 40 to 45 times. And by the way, let's not tell the physicians. Let's not report on the uh, positive test or the negative test how many times uh, we cycled it. And so those three things had to happen, and they did. And then you had spokespersons coming from outside, coming from the woodwork, speaking the same kind of stuff that you sent me in that clip, just scaring people and feeling very morally righteous about doing so. There's no concern at all on the parts of some. As to whether or not they're actually being accurate, they have a mission and they're going for it.
0: It's amazing, and I think people are not—they don't trust the CDC anymore. You know, the CDC has gone from a trusted organization to one now that that people look at and go, "I don't care, you know what you say." Did you notice that just last week they changed the definition of a vaccine?
1: I I noticed it uh, a while ago. I don't remember exactly when, but I, I noticed it was about three or four months ago that Merriam-Webster Dictionary change their definition. Because if you looked at it a year ago, you wouldn't have found anything in there that would necessarily testify to mRNA vaccine being a vaccine. But if you read on your app, on your telephone, Webster, Merriam-Webster app, you'll see that I think it's the third or fourth definition of a vaccine. Even goes into the details saying mRNA uh, vaccines are real vaccines. And it goes on and on. It almost makes you want to gag
0: hmm. It's it's amazing. And I think what we're seeing now is people don't trust They're they're losing faith very quickly in the medical community because now they don't know who to trust anymore. And this is the problem when you use public health as a political football, which uh, it seems to me like that's what we're doing. So when you see people uh, who, you know, ordinary citizens like me, and the news is coming out as fast and furious, right? One day they say one thing, and the next day they say something else. They say, hey, get a vaccine and your life and go back to normal. Then they say, never mind. Uh, put your mask back on. You know, the the college football teams can have, you know, stadiums full of people, but your little six-year-old has to wear a mask to school, and we're going to teach them the zombie walk in the hallway so that they don't get within six feet of their fellow student. What do you say to parents and to citizens who are trying to navigate this? What is the best way forward in terms of credible sources of news? Where do we look to find information that is true and not this highly politicized garbage that we see coming out of the mainstream media and the Biden administration?
1: Well, I tell them very upfront, Heidi, that there's no magic bullet. I wish I had the the power and the authority to make things right, but I don't. So I... I tell them to follow their conscience. Um, religious and conscientious exemptions are available in some situations. I ask them to delay because I do believe that we're getting we're we're pushing through this. I think that slowly, inexorably, uh, because of the number of people that have been vaccinated, and in that situation, hopefully, would have a, a reduced likelihood of hospitalization or death, particularly for the vulnerable. That combining those folks with the number of people that have had the COVID-19 and recovered naturally and and likely have a a far more robust immunity to uh, COVID-19 than they might have gotten from a two-step Pfizer program. I tell people, hang in there, delay, apply for your exemptions, make the decision on your own. Regardless of what my patients decide, I, I always tell them, I support you either way. I don't know that I've ever told a patient Don't get a vaccine or do get a vaccine. I think I've always had the discussion and I've turned to the patient or to the parent and I've said, you have to make this one. I can't make it for you. And those are the kinds of conversations I've had with my patients regarding vaccines for decades. And so I'm not going to change the way I do things just because I have a president or a Dr. Fauci telling me that I should get with the program. I'm not going to drink the Kool-Aid. I want my patients to make the decision. I'll be there for them. And the idea that you mentioned a few moments ago about what's happened to the medical profession is going to be one of those inflection points for this pandemic that will be a legacy. We will have to answer to generations to come what happened to the medical profession. What happened when doctors thought they could cast aside the needs of their patients if their patients? hadn't done what they wanted, what the doctor wanted done. So if a patient doesn't get vaccinated and doesn't go along with a doctor's recommendation or wish, the fact that a doctor would toss aside that patient, dismiss them from their clinic, go public with the notion that perhaps that patient doesn't deserve care unless everybody else has been cared for first. These are the kinds of things that Hippocrates spoke to a long time ago. And I think physicians are going to have to live with some of the comments they made for the rest of their careers.
0: I think that's absolutely true. And and we're certainly seeing it here. And I, I just uh, spoke to a young woman the other day who was having pretty severe stomach pain, and she's afraid to go to the doctor. She's afraid to go to the hospital. Uh, she she believes that they won't treat her because she's not vaccinated, and in fact, we're seeing that kind of attitude play out on social media. And, and this is a, this is a sad time for the medical community. I want to touch on one more thing uh, before we wrap this up, and that is the issue you touched on it briefly of natural immunity. Like many 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 people, I've already had the Rona, and I've also already had the chicken pox. So I'm not going to get the chicken pox vaccine. I don't need it. Talk to people for just a minute, because there are a lot of people listening to this now who have had COVID and recovered. What, are, what, do, what is science, what does medicine tell us about natural immunity?
1: I think the science is clear. If you have natural immunity, I believe that you, you have a far more robust protection against future COVID-19 infections than if you take one of the vaccines that's available at this time. Israel came out with excellent data about two weeks ago saying that. I think the United Kingdom has said that. Iceland has said that. Many countries have identified that. Even Bloomberg, um, which is left-leaning, has come out indicating that a natural immunity is likely more robust than the immunity that comes with the vaccines. So I think we can stop that kind of bullying people. I got a nasty phone call from this, this morning from a woman who just swore at me and tore into me saying, I know nothing. I mean, this is these these anonymous voice messages and keyboard warriors that are not helping the situation. But I don't think there's any question that natural immunity is the preferred immunity. I do think that it's unfortunate that we're not having more physicians willing to work with their patients and do antibody testing because antibody testing can be extremely helpful in helping patients make their decisions. And yet I'm seeing Patients to say, you know, I'm sure I had it. I think I had antibodies. Could I find out? Because if I have antibodies, I'd feel better about sharing with my family that they're okay being around me. I don't know what's wrong with that. But there are so many physicians that won't even order the blood test and basically dismiss the patients from their clinics.
0: What do you say to the the, the employers? who are suggesting that people who have already had COVID still need to get the vaccine. Is there any inherent risk? I mean, I, I would be concerned, I mean, you know, for myself. And again, this is all about informed consent. I know that you don't have the answers to everything. But I'm just talking as an ordinary person. I've already had COVID. I would be, I would be loathe to go get a vaccination on top of the fact that I already have natural immunity. Could it backfire? Is there a way that that wouldn't be potentially good for me?
1: I think there's a lot we don't know, and and certainly there are people out there with a great deal more expertise than I have regarding uh, antibody-dependent enhanced reactions. And we certainly had this thing with dengue fever in the Philippines, where it appeared that one of the worst things we could do was to vaccinate. And then those children, when they did get an exposure to dengue fever, had a terrible time. Some of these are deep uh, virological principles that I don't understand completely. And I don't even know if medicine does yet. We're learning all the time. But the idea that someone who has immunity, demonstrable immunity, I mean, I was donating my plasma because the blood bank said I had all the antibodies necessary for a patient with COVID-19 who is struggling to recover might benefit from my plasma. So when someone comes at me and says, well, you got to get the vax," Why do you say that? Do you realize that when you do that, you come across as uneducated and you're planting the seeds of conspiracy in the minds of many? I mean, we're roundly criticizing anybody who believes in any kind of conspiracy, right? Yes. Well, how do we know that one person's truth isn't another person's conspiracy? We've got to stop doing this to one another.
0: Boy, and it it just is, it's just adding to the division and this country is in a terrible place right now uh, with regard to the division that we see uh, all throughout the nation. You have decided in the middle of all of this, in the middle of uh, advocating for your, uh, for your patients and being a, a voice for not only sanity when it comes to the lockdowns and just trying to bring a voice of reason. That's what I always think of when I watch you, uh, especially when you're doing Facebook live, I think, man, this guy's just bringing such common sense to the conversation you have, in the middle of all this, launched a run for governor in the state of Minnesota. How is that going uh, for you, and how can people get behind you and help you?
1: Well, it's been going incredibly. Johann Goethe said a couple hundred years ago, when you finally make the commitment, things will happen that you might never have counted on, and we've certainly experienced that. In the first six months of our our campaign we've raised, over a million dollars and uh, in the circumstances of being more than a year in advance of the election, a Republican statewide election it's never been done before in Minnesota. We have 80,000 people that have joined our email team. We have over half a million people following us on our various social media platforms every day. We have some 2,500 people that said, we'll come and be delegates for you. It's been an astonishing response. I've done 12 city tours in the northern part of Minnesota. 12-city tours in the southwestern part of Minnesota and everywhere we go, we feel this electrical pulse of patients, excuse me, of voters and citizens. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are
0: patients too. (laughs) Yes, they are.
1: But they're rising up and saying enough is enough. We've got to get off the sidelines. We've got to get on the field of battle, do the blocking and tackling, help carry the ball, catch a few passes, throw some passes. We're all in. So it's been going remarkably. Our website is drscottjensen.com d-r-s-c-o-t-t-j-e-n-s-e-n.com and we've tried to be as transparent as we can when my wife and i made the decision to run we did for several reasons but one of the biggest reasons was we do not think the present system of elected officials being so often career politicians is working for the the everyday citizen uh we believe that we bring a unique voice uh, to the world of politics. I speak for the voices of people who are at the beginning of life, the end of life, who live in the twilight of life. I speak for all Minnesotans. I don't like politicians. I'm clear about that. I color outside the lines. I don't kiss the ring. I won't be the darling choice of the established Republicans because I'm not going to be, if you will, as responsive to the typical triggers that your career politicians will. If I get elected, That's not really a victory for the voters. That's just an invitation from the voters to me to roll up my sleeves and get to work. The last thing I should be thinking about the next day would be my next election. I should not worry about that. I should be candid and transparent. I should trailblaze the issues. I should be willing to have a conversation on any topic that any citizen wants to have a conversation on. That's why I decided to run, because honestly, if we don't change, the way we've been doing it. I don't see how America pulls through the level of distrust, the level of resignation, the level of, I'm going to detach. That's where we're at today. And this is not the American spirit that gave, if you will, rise to the greatest democracy of freedom in the history of man.
0: Oh, it's so true. And, uh, you know, Minnesotans have an opportunity right now to really wrestle free from, you guys have a lot of liberal wackadoos out there <laughs> representing <laughs> you uh, in Congress. And, uh, and, and I think Minnesotans are tired of it, you know, uh, and they, they're recognizing it's not working. So it looks to me uh, like you have a real shot at it. When is your election?
1: It's in November of 2022. So it's, it's 13 and a half months away. It's great. Uh, there's quite a bit of competition. Uh, the people I'm competing with are good people. I think several of them have been, if you will, perhaps attached to politics a bit longer than I would be comfortable with, uh, but that's for the people to decide. but I know that our campaign is is out there we're transparent, and we're not going to stop being transparent.
0: Well, I wish you all the best. You are a voice of reason and uh someone who who clearly i think the one of the things I love about your candidacy the most is that you genuinely love the people of Minnesota. Uh, and you guys said you have a demonstrated track record of that. I was looking up on your website that you've been married to your beautiful wife for 43 years. Is that right?
1: Yeah, she's the best thing that's ever happened to me.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I wish you all the best. What is your website again?
1: dot com.
0: Dr. Scott Jensen, you are a national treasure and uh, I wish you all the best. I'd love to have you on sometime in the next couple of months and we can get updated on uh, how your campaign is going and just hear your wisdom. It's sound and it's encouraging for people in the midst of a very troubling time in the United States. I thank you so much for coming on the program today.
1: Thank you, Heidi, for having me as your guest.
0: You're welcome. For more information on Dr. Scott Jensen and his run, For Governor in Minnesota, I will link back to that in the show notes today. Go to HeidiStJohn.com for more information. Thank you for listening today, everybody. And I will see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture. For more encouragement, visit me online at MomStrongInternational.com.